All right, STEMI teachers, today you are going to hear me preach. The fire in my heart for this topic might have me get a little bit rowdy. So stay tuned because it is going to be a good one. Welcome to the iHeart STEAM Teacher Podcast. Science! Where teachers like you come for the best classroom vibes. School will be fun! Discover fun methods that engage with students to collaborate and communicate beyond their comfort zone with project-based learning. It's all about the students. STEAM with style, creativity, and critical thinking in the classroom, while also turning up in the teacher's lounge with your host, Bonnie Kirkley. I've got an important meeting in the teacher's lounge. Now, full steam ahead. All right, and welcome. For those of you that are just joining us, my name is Bonnie Kirkley. I'm a STEAM educational coach and consultant. I specialize in helping elementary teachers and administrators create classrooms that grow STEM or STEAM as a community culture so that they can foster students who will become creative, critical thinkers, engaged in project-based learning, which allows for deeper insight and understanding to take place across all of your core subjects. Now, although my specialty is elementary, the STEM and STEAM culture that needs to be developed can totally go into the middle school, the junior high, and the high school as well. So the methodologies that I teach are welcome for k 12. What are we going to be talking about today that gets me so hot? Well, today I'm going to be helping you develop creativity creativity and creative students. But it all boils down to one thing, and that is how we optimize brain functioning for your students at the right age and at the right time. That is right. You need to know how the brain works for your students because I have one thing to tell you and something I don't want you to forget. I don't care how long you plan for a lesson. I don't care how much data has been great on a new curriculum and that it pulls up your scores and testing, you cannot beat the brain. Can't control it. It develops in a certain way. And there are things that you can do to optimize brain functioning for your students so that they retain information and become creative thinkers. So let's dig in. One of my most recent blog posts was how to develop creativity in the classroom. If you haven't checked it out, go to the iHeartSteam website. I will link it in the episode show notes and you can read all about it there if you prefer. But I am going to let you hear my passion on the topic today. I'll tell you something. I read a few years ago in Teach Like a Pirate by Dave Burgess, that he has a pet peeve. He's a really creative teacher. He creates 
scenes and ambience and experiences for his students to experience history and make it real for them. Now, he is out of the classroom now, but something that he hated, he really hated, he expressed that in his book, was to hear a teacher say, I'm not creative. Why did he hate that? Well, being creative, just like anything else that you do, takes practice and takes time. And it's also very different for every student, every person, and you cannot compare your creative abilities to anyone else. So most of us, when we say things like, I'm not creative, we are essentially comparing ourselves to what we've seen others do. You'll never be able to do and replicate what you see other teachers, your peers doing. And that's simply because creativity involves the experiences that you've had. It involves how often you allow yourself to think freely. And most of us like to take the path of least resistance. And being creative actually requires you to get off of the path of least resistance. So today I'm going to show you how to develop creativity in the classroom, how to develop creativity with yourself, but I'm also going to get in a lot of plugs about how the brain works and how you can optimize brain functioning in your classroom and how you should do this. If you don't do anything else, you need to do this because again, you cannot beat the brain. It doesn't matter what lesson you're delivering. It doesn't matter what lesson plan you're using. It doesn't matter what research-based curriculum you are using. Your students can only function at the level that their brain lets them function at. So let's dig into what all of this means. First of all, let's just start by talking about the brain. The three main areas of the brain are the brain stem, the cerebellum, and the cerebrum. And the cerebrum is the area that we associate and takes care of all of our learning. It controls sight, hearing, speech, touch, short-term memory, long-term memory, language, and reasoning abilities. And it can only do within all of those topics what it has been exposed to, what it has memories of. And that is what is so important here. It all boils down to brain functioning. So in the last decade or so, we've learned a lot about the brain. Researchers and scientists have actually been able to take a look inside the brain while information was being delivered to a subject to see what happens in the brain. And so this is what happens. So basically, let's just say, let's, let's give a scenario that will work for you. You're going to a place you've never been before. Someone tells you how to get there. You've received that information. More than likely, it was 
oral, delivered to you auditorily, or possibly it was visual. You looked at a GPS or a set of directions on how to get to that place. You heard it one time. And in that one time, neurons began firing to create a bond to connect that information and start it on the path in the brain that's developed of a dense network of fiber pathways. We actually, once the brain's fully developed, have over a hundred billion neurons. It doesn't start out that way. At the eight, when a baby is born, I believe they have about 2,500 neurons. And then by the age of two, it has increased to 15,000. And those 15,000 neurons have come from new information. So back to that scenario I was telling you about. You've gotten new information. So what happens? Two neurons will ignite and create a synopse and start that information in a neural pathway within the brain. It takes it first to short-term memory. Short-term memory is volatile. Why do I say that? Because once in short-term memory, that information is sort of deconstructed because the next area it's going to is long-term memory. It's deconstructed against all of the things that you already know. So you got directions. Did you already know some of those places? Have you heard of something before that your brain recalls within long-term memory? It's trying to categorize it and link it to something else on that pathway. So it starts to head to long-term memory as a deconstructed set of information. At this point, this is where, and sometimes we just don't, you know, you get information sometimes and you swore this is what you were told. Come to find out it wasn't what you were told. That's your brain's fault. Your brain put it where it could organize it. So that memory gets broken down in the process and this can lead to incomplete or even false memory storage. That's what happens to our students every day, every single day, especially in the elementary setting. And I do also know in many middle school and high school settings where you're entering into a new class um, that's completely new information to you. It's the first time you've heard this stuff, but the brain still works the way the brain works. It deconstructs those memories to eventually make it to long-term memory. So we sometimes have incorrect information stored. We can't remember certain things. There are holes that we actually attempt to fill by replacing it with something that we knew, and that's where we get some of the incorrect holes. Now let's think about something that you do every single day, like driving to work on the same path every single day. You do it every single day. That is a strong memory. It's happened over and over and over. And 
there are no holes in that memory because it's happened so many times that it is a very, very, very strong memory. So new directions compared to something that you do every single day, obviously there's a huge difference. What does it take to deliver information to our students so that memories are stronger? There are a couple of things that you can do in the classroom. And so this is what I was talking about by optimizing for how the brain learns. First of all, consistency. So they need to hear it multiple times. So many times, in fact, we actually do not have enough time as teachers to teach consistent information. Let me tell you how much a person needs to hear a memory or an information before it actually becomes a really strong memory. Researchers have discovered that in order to retain a new piece of information, it takes 400 synopses. That would be 400 times receiving the new information and two neurons coming together to start it on that pathway. 400 times. Are you going to present information to students 400 times consistently? No, that's impossible. But I have some good news for you. And this is where we're going to start talking about creativity. If new information happens with our students when they are independently playing or discovering, it only takes 20 synopses before it is a strong retained information. Hello. So why are our K-5 classrooms not independently playing and discovering more often? Why are we constantly teaching a new standard every single day practicing it a little bit, then teaching another one, practicing it a little bit, teaching another one, and then giving a test on it, you know, two weeks later, thinking that we're doing a good job. Why? I'm sorry, but that's not how the brain learns. Told you you're going to hear me get rowdy. So you cannot expect to get the results that you want if this is how your instruction is going. Another way that you can make memory stronger enlisting the five senses at the same time that the new information comes. So one of my favorite ways to do this is to teach outside. It may be that there's a bird singing in the distance, a breeze is flowing. It may be anything that enlists the senses as simple as maybe giving students a peppermint in class. All of those things help them to obtain anything that is new. Another thing that you can do is to enlist emotional reactions. Now, I don't want you to tragically make your students cry when they get new information, but I will tell you that if they heard anything at any moment when they were upset, they're going to believe it. Promise you, they'll believe it, but that's not what I want you to do. Emotions are also things like humor, happiness, joy, anything that really entertains them. 
So it's time to realize that if something is boring to you, it's also boring to them. If it's the same thing every day, you deliver it in the same way every day, it's not going to create a strong memory for retention. And finally, new memories really become stronger when curiosity is enlisted. So if the brain is naturally curious about something, then that information that is discovered during that curious time is also stronger, which brings me back to creativity and independent play and discovery. I am going to stop calling it independent play because I'm sure that makes quite a few of us cringe. But really, K-5 students, that should be their job. They should be learning a lot through independent play. If you can strategically structure areas for students to discover independently, like with STEM or with STEAM, they will retain that information. And this is difficult because it does take a little bit of thinking. So that's why we enlist the experts on this and we do those same things. I have a little bit of a list of ideas that you can do that would really help your discovery time. And I also want to tell you that even though something seems fun, that does not mean learning is not taking place. It's completely okay for your classroom to seem like it is fun. It doesn't make you the fun teacher. It doesn't make you the teacher that all the kids love and the other teachers are aggravated with because you're just having fun. You're actually doing what is age appropriate for them. Between the ages of 2 and 10, the brain develops more than any time in a lifetime. And it's during those years that it is vital for students to learn through brain functioning optimization. Here are some great ideas. And it goes right along with STEM and STEAM. You can set up building material areas discovery boxes with loose parts and various items that are themed around the topics that you are learning about or delivering within your standards. I'll tell you, there is one that I just absolutely love on Etsy. And sometimes I go a little crazy with it because it's already done and it takes time to set up some of these things. So I want to make things easy. The seller on Etsy is Arbor, Arbor Inspirations, and I just love her learning sets. They're all hands-on. They're all areas that you can set up, give just a little bit of instruction, and students can go work within those areas. And it's at those moments that they will develop the questions they have and bring them to you later that you can answer rather than standing in front of the classroom and giving a lecture. 3D print designing is wonderful. And I know that that 
probably scares a lot of us, but here's the thing. You don't actually have to have a 3D printer. You don't actually have to know anything about it. What you actually have to do is come up with an assignment that matches your standards, something you want your students to design, and you use a design, a 3D print design platform like Tinkercad. It's a free platform. I love Maker's Empire. It is not free, but it's very affordable. Why do I love it? Because it's set up in a gamified way that engages students and that they really enjoy, love working through. Experimentation areas are great. Just a couple of instructions is all that they need and let them experiment. A few games that work are games like Pickwits. Um, I have so many little creative games and it's okay to play games. It's an independent learning time. Loose parts play is always my fa favorite and pretend play is my favorite. I recently completed a donor's choose for a financial literacy um, kit through Lakeshore. It got funded in one night because, because it was financial literacy. It has a five times match on it. The whole kit was only $250. So $25 became $125 when someone donated for it. What was in this kit? Cash register, lots of different types of food, money and so my students and I created a list of hard and difficult prices with decimals and then also prices with whole numbers. I give them specific instructions and they play grocery store. That is a life skill. They love it. Fourth graders are working on this and cannot get enough of it. They're writing word problems from their experiences. They're sharing with others and it's working wonders. These students haven't even been exposed yet, they will, to decimal addition and subtraction instruction. I give them a large bill, like a 20 or a 40. Oh, hey phone, I have to turn that off. And ask them to find out if they have enough money to buy X, Y, and Z. They're actually doing mental math to figure it out and they can. So all of these things are great. And I'm going back to creativity. Don't worry. <laughs> Let me break down how this all applies to creative thinking. The most crucial time for the learning processes to be developed in the brain is the first decade of life, which I mentioned earlier. And elementary teachers, that is you. I mentioned earlier that by the age of two or three, a child will have 15,000 neurons. Imagine the number by the age five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. And those synopses are all from new information and it all gets stored. Something we take for granted quite often is how much background information our students bring to school, especially if they're an ESL student or they haven't been to your school. And it's important to find out what they know. We cannot assume that they know all these things. So that's why it's really important for us to offer this independent time. I like to do it 
in a station sort of setting. And that's a whole nother podcast where I can lay out how I do my stations and how it works for me. It works for them. I'm able to get more done in a day when I allow for structured discovery time through independent play. My students are learning. I don't have to deliver as much information. They bring the questions to me and I can multitask at the same time, visit with the students and help guide them through what they're working on. So being creative just requires practice. Please never say again that you're not creative. If you don't practice in activities that require you to be creative and think beyond the norm, you're not using it. And that's all that means. You have to practice it and you have to use it and you have to be okay with doing something different. A creative mindset requires consistency. It requires engages in as many senses as possible and Again, like I said, those emotional reactions like humor, the shock factor, all of those things catch attention and get the brain engaged. When we talk about engagement and our students paying attention, you may have that one student that's always looking at you, tries to participate just a little bit, not talking to another student. That doesn't mean that they're engaged. Being engaged is actually something you can optimize for, but you can't guarantee. And we certainly can't do it through force because when it becomes forceful with us getting on to students and making them feel bad that they've done something wrong because really and truly no student wants to just be wrong, especially elementary. They want to be accepted by everyone, including their teacher. But when those negative emotions get involved, you're going to have problems. And I hate to tell you this, but they will remember that for the rest of their life. Emotions really are so powerful with the brain. So what are some other things that we can do to develop creativity in the way that ways that the brain favors? Simple, simple. Just allow for curiosity to happen on a daily basis. And I know that's hard. I really know that's hard, but it requires you to let go and let them be curious. It allows you, they have to explore. They have to go find out what's out there and they have to test things out. And sometimes they get into a little trouble when they're curious, but they learn from everything that's happening during those moments. And it's very important to develop creative students because if they've had a creative moment where they were engaging in discovery and playing and figuring out how things work, they can apply it to other problems when it requires creativity. Another simple way to spark student um, creativity is the curiosity. Do something different than you normally do. Walk in with a silly hat on. Walk in backwards. Shock them. Get their attention. And again, how does this all develop creativity? Natural curiosity creates the thinking processes to start. And that's when creativity can come out. 
I know you've given students assignments before and they just don't know what to do and their brain shuts down. And it's simply because they haven't had enough experiences where it was okay to think of anything. So I always say in my classroom that every idea counts, no matter how crazy it is. Because if it wasn't for all of the creative, crazy ideas, the technology that would be available to us today might not have ever happened. I promise you that if you enlist some of our greatest technology inventors and discovering scientists, they were shunned by others because being creative requires you to do something different. Now, something else I do want to mention about the brain. What happens when new information comes into the brain? Something happens called survival of the fittest memory. What does that mean? Well, let's just put a scenario into place. You're teaching class. You've got a great lesson going on. And then all of a sudden, a bug flies into the room. Well, the brain is naturally curious. It's going to go to the most exciting and engaging event happening at that time. And you've lost all of your students. That is the survival of the fittest memory. They will be able to go home and tell their parents what happened in class today with the bug. But everything that you said right before that is gone. So that's why it's important for you to control those crazy, curious moments and give structure to independent playtime. Optimizing for retention and developing creativity is super important. So important. You can work on building your own creativity and that will support your own problem-solving task. And you could also do this for your students. But you've got to do more. It's actually do less and let the students do more. That's what you've got to do. You've got to set up areas that make sense for what you want them to learn. You have to. And let me tell you this. Attention spans. Do you know the attention spans by age. Well, let me share that information with you. It is two to three minutes per year of their age. Where is this most vital? We all know that our kindergartners are about five. And so in the best possible way or possible scenario, they could have a 15-minute attention span. And after that, they're done. You've got to do something different and move them to something else. You have to. All that lecturing, if it goes past 10, 10 minutes, really, downhill from that. The brain will naturally go to something else. We conference with our parents and we say our students daydream and that they don't pay attention. And we say that maybe they're ADD or that something else is going on. It's just what the brain does naturally at their age. But the grade level that I identify that this attention span is most vital, I would say is third grade. 
In third grade, you've got eight and nine-year-old students. So let's say they're eight. And let's do the best possible situation that we can. Three minutes per age. 24 minutes. Well, we all know that by the time students get to third grade, some of the information that they're learning in science and the books that they read, any read-alouds that we read to them that are chapter books, they're going to go sometimes 30 minutes. I'm so sorry if you have to discipline problems after 20 minutes with third graders. We think of them as being more independent and ready to tackle all of the information, but they're not, and it's not their fault. It's their natural attention span. So let me just clarify a little bit more about independent learning. When I say that, I am not talking about going out on the playground while you enjoy the outdoors and, um, you know, sit in the shade and let your students play. Students do learn a lot out on the playground. That's not what I'm talking about. Again, when I talk about independent learning and independent play or discovery time, I'm talking about a structured group. Like if you're studying animal groups in science, you have an animal exploration station, maybe with things that you've collected outside that go with it that are going to help your students come up with questions. I love also having STEAM journals available during these times so that students can chart their thoughts and draw pictures of what they find. All of this will help them later. Journaling as they're learning independently gives them a way to go back to it later and discuss it with you. And it's super important that you take time to discuss individually what students have questions about. And we have to welcome questions. We want our students to create good questions, but if we don't give them the time that they need to think about it, or we haven't given them an experience to develop the question, you know, you deliver that 30-minute lesson with all this information and you ask, are there any questions? They don't have any. You know why? Because you did it one way and they didn't do it on their own and come up with their own curious questions. So, people, we've got to change. You can't beat the brain. What I'm telling you is fact. Told you I'd get rowdy. It is fact. This has to be applied in our elementary classrooms. And all that testing, that's another podcast too. It's just inappropriate for a second grader to sit for 40 minutes and take a diagnostic test. Fact, case, and point. I'm ready for anybody that wants to help me fight that battle, but a lot of us have been ingrained that this is how we do things. And I don't know if you realize this, but the brain actually, the more you've experienced something, like as a teacher, you've experienced benchmark testing and diagnostic testing and this and that and the other, you begin to think that this is the way things are. So to change older adults, that have the same past memories over and over is super difficult, but it's not difficult with your students. The ones that the brain is still developed. Did you know 
A brain is not fully developed until the age of 25. Did you know, and I say this all the time because I have a 16-year-old, I deal with an underdeveloped frontal lobe. All those stupid things that they do, it's the fault of their brain. The only thing that you can do is try your best to deliver and keep them grounded in the things that you say to them and the things that you expect from them. But these crazy decisions they make, I would say they don't so much need a serious consequence as they do need an explanation, what could happen, and maybe even a run back through the scenario to see this is not a good decision. And they learn from that one bad decision too. So just remember that. Here are just a few more ways before I wrap up today on how you can develop creativity with your elementary students. I love using scribbles. So scribbles are when you have a scribble on a page and you ask them to create something new with that scribble. And I actually have a system to help them know how to develop that scribble. I give them one point if they're able to create a character, one point if they're able to show movement within a picture, one point if they're able to fill up the entire page, and then a, another point if they have straight and curvy lines. Hello, steam and art. Gamify activities for them. They love that, and it resonates with them. I love giving students characters and letting them become characters and pretend play. And it's okay for them to do it. This is what they were supposed to do. So that's another way that you can develop some creativity in your classroom. And just remember, the 21st century classroom must know how to develop a creative mindset. And it all goes back to the four C's. Creativity, critical thinking, collaboration, and communication. And this, my friends, is what our corporate America wants for their new employees. They feel that these are skills, if they're developed, are more important than any degree that they can have. If they can be creative and they can think critically and they can collaborate with peers and then communicate what they're doing beyond their peers, that is what they want. I'm going to link some concept posters on creativity, critical thinking, you know, the four C's, and a few other things in this podcast today that you can just totally grab for free. If you have any questions, please ask me, and please try, even if it's just 15 minutes a day, find time for independent play and let your students develop the way Mother Nature meant for them to develop. This is Bonnie Kirkley, and I'm signing out right now. I have one question for you. Do you I heart steam tooth?